Welcome to We Flew Off the Page. I'm Muhammad Seven, and I'm here to do my very favorite thing in the world. Talk to great songwriters about how they do what they do. Each episode, we'll dive into the little details of two songs, which I'll play for you. My guest has chosen one song, and I have agonized over and selected the other from their catalog of incredible music. Today, I'm chopping it up with my close friend, ex-tour partner, and brother from another mother, the underground legend Chris Sand, also known as Sandman, also known as Montana's Rapping Cowboy. Sometimes I call him Sandy or Sandino. Chris has recorded around 20 albums in his 30-plus year career as a touring troubadour, and his most recent, an album of children's music called Magic Beans, is hot off the presses. I'll link to that and his website in the show notes. Chris, welcome to your first of what I hope to be many appearances on We Flew Off the Page. Good to be here. <laughs> Good to so, be be- here. so glad you're here. So before we get to talking about your process and listening to your songs, uh, let's first say a, th- a few things about you and me. Yeah. How would you describe our relationship as songwriters? Well, it seems like we got our start more as touring partners. And then after that, your uh, your lyric writing just took off. And so then we just started talking on the phone all the time, trading songs. And, and uh, that, that became more of our relationship musically was just, um, yeah, kind of listening deeply to each other's songs and giving ad- advice or, or not. And um, yeah, being inspired by each other. I, I've accidentally stolen some of your lyrics, just <laughs> not being conscious. <laughs> so my best songs are actually Muhammad Seven lines. He didn't know that there's a whole song within that line. <laughs> uh, does any of us actually own any of it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's been such a, um, I mean, such a treasure for me, that part of our relationship. So you know, some people might not know that we knew each other for quite a while. We're friends, we're close friends for quite a while before touring, but, you know, touring cemented it in the way that something like that is want to do. Indeed. And, and then for me on my end, you, I don't quite play this role for you. You play a role for me. I, you know, I tell people that you're my songwriting editor. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, cause the truth is nothing, I don't, I don't put anything out that hasn't gone through you. More or less word for word. Uh, I don't know. Huh. It's been a, it's funny because it's been a while since I've been on a songwriting jag. Yeah, it used uh, to be know. every week. Yeah, it used to be every week. And I spent so much of the last year recording. Anyway, uh, we, we've been a little bit off our, off our back, back and forth uh, songwriting game. But, right. um, but it's a unique relationship and uh, I treasure it so much. And I guess another thing to say about our relationship as songwriters is that you, I found out about your music when I was 20 years old. Before I knew you, I had, I think it was Stardust, cassette tape of Stardust uh, was the the way I found out about you. And that, you know, blew my mind, Um, changed my life. The, The radical nature of it, it was funny, it was provocative, it was topical. It had a DIY 
kindness to it, which is one word I'd use to describe a lot of your work. And I think what's wonderful about your work anyway. So, you know, you were really musically a hero to me, you know, in a small way before I met you. I was I was really impressed, I guess, is what you'd say. And then we met, then we became friends. Over time, we got close. And over that period, I, you know, dove uh, headlong into your catalog. And, what you know, I, I tell people that uh, you're my songwriting editor. I, honestly, just to be transparent here for our listeners, I consider myself your biggest fan. And that may not be true because you have so many fans. <laughs> there, there, there could be someone out there who's... <laughs> Who's one up to me? <laughs> Has three in the top copies. ten. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, I'm easily. I've got to be in the top ten. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but th- there might be someone out there who's wallpapered their wall with uh, you know Sandman <laughs> album art or something. Who's <laughs> got me by just a little bit. <laughs> I'm easily flattered. More. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but but really, I, it's uh, such a treat to get to do this here with you. Partly because I I know your catalog. I mean, probably better than I know any other artist catalog. I've spent so much time with it and then also so much time with you. So, all right, I'll stop going on about this, but I, I thought I'd put all that out there. Thank you. And, and hopefully I'm in, I'm in your top 10, if not top, top two. I know that it's hard to beat your, uh, your wife and, and son, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure it's true. Uh, so let's see. So you're exceptionally, Unusual as a songwriter, country boy from Montana and other points west, maybe all points west, uh, a sort of postmodern cowboy and cowboy poet, an old school Run DMC era rapper, an underground punk rabble rouser, a radical activist. I'm not sure that I have a question in all of this, but uh, care to comment? That sounds right. Often I'll tell people that my music is kind of based on these three you know, like a tripod, equal parts, cowboy poetry, kind of country, folky Americana, um, punk, DIY, indie rock as the second pole, and then the third being hip-hop and, and R&B and just, um, yeah, roots of, roots of rap, and, rap and R&B, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all this time, I... I had not heard you uh, summarize it that way, so that's nice to that's nice to hear. Um, though you come from rural blue collar roots, both of your parents went to college. In fact, your mom's a college professor, is she not, or or was? Uh, I wouldn't say professor. She was. It was confusing. It took so long for her to finally get her doctorate, like in her fifties or sixties, that maybe the last couple of years she was doing some teaching, but, but mostly she was like a counselor and stuff like that. Got it. Yeah. Um, and you went to the Evergreen State University yourself. I'm curious, did your, did your academic education influence your songwriting in your estimation? Yeah, in a sense, it bought me time to do what I, I dreamed of. So... I wasn't really having much luck at University of Montana in Missoula when I was 18, 19, and 20. But then I took a year off, maybe a couple of years off, went to Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. And just the way they have it set up is that you can do whatever you want there. 
and they'll support you. And so that was huge for me because that tends to be how I learn best is just uh, doing what I want to do, following my own heart. And they supported that. And so I would I did things like I would study the blues and I'd, I'd compare what, how the blues and hip hop were and I'd write an article on that. And within that I'd learn, or I studied Tin Pan Alley writing, you know, and that stuff blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, these, these people are just geniuses with the word and with the rhyme. And so it just opened my mind in all these ways that I wouldn't have got if I hadn't been to Evergreen. You were also raised poor and rural. What are your thoughts on the impact that that has had on your songwriting? Well, I often think a big reason we were poor was probably my dad. And I don't, I'm not saying that uh, in a mean way, um, but he couldn't really hold down a job. Um, <laughs> he was just, a, you know, a character. And so we often had to rely on my mom's money, which just wasn't that much until after I graduated. Even then it was pretty minimal. Uh, and so a lot of my the income was maybe, you know, we, we'd rent out some of our land for other people's cows or we'd, um, we'd, we'd, we'd make bales out of our alfalfa and sell those. And it was never very much or have some sheep and I, I might get a hundred bucks if I sold one of my sheep. So, um, but I guess what, I, what, what I'm getting at here is that my dad was a huge influence in me just because he was such a character and such a, like, I think that poverty and that ruralness was really kind of beautiful to me, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't always easy being his son. Uh, I was just intrigued by, uh, there's a certain integrity he had with, with the land and with um, just his commitment. It was almost like he was a rebel against wealth. Um, which I didn't always like because it sucked having to eat commodity cheese or whatnot. But uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things that it was a gift. There's a gift in there that I now a lot of my songs are written through his eyes. I don't even know it. Like I write these songs about tractors or this or that. Like I don't necessarily care about that stuff, but he does. And in my music, it kind of comes out my love for him, I guess calls to mind uh, another, for me, a particular songwriting luminary uh, in a, who, who come, writes from a similar place, which is Bruce Springsteen, um, oh, yeah. has often commented that, uh, I mean, he says, people say uh, they wish they were Bruce Springsteen. He says, I also wish I was Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. And he, and it, more specifically, he says that that guy on stage, you know, really who that is, is a character he's playing and the character he's playing is his father. Fascinating. That, that, you know, he, you know, all those songs about factory workers and, you know, growing up poor and working class in New Jersey and the, the stoniness of it. I mean, I think he's also got that stoniness to himself you know, mm-hmm. in his act, in, the actual Bruce Springsteen does, but mm-hmm. but he's also in the songs playing that character of his father, who, and I, I, 
I read his book recently. He's got that autobiography that came out a couple of years ago, which is Born excellent. Born to Run, I think. I think it, it is called. I think so. Yeah. And and so he talks at length about, you know, his dad, you get a real picture. And it, it seems like he uh, feels similarly. Um, yeah. It's like giving your father wings that he couldn't give himself or didn't want. But you wanted him to fly. Or I wanted him to fly. Yeah. Well, that's gorgeous. Any thoughts on how your songwriting has evolved over time? Um, You know, I don't know if it's necessarily improved that much, (laughs) but it's, uh, how is it different? Uh, Well, it has in some ways, like, uh, yeah, I'm able to tell certain stories in, in, in bigger, bigger swaths of color, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess there's just a, there's just a depth to it that I didn't used to have. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hard, hard to say. Good question. I'm going to go ahead and reject Okay. <laughs> the the idea that it, <laughs> I mean, I, I, in a certain way, I can understand why why you would say maybe it hasn't improved, and that's because it's been excellent. Um, you know, I don't think your song when you are an excellent songwriter, which you are, um, it doesn't have to improve. <laughs> it just has to sort of continue to be compelling, and it hmm. your work certainly has you know from from its origins to to the present day. Um, I'm curious if, aside from, so you talked about it, you're just saying that a certain depth you feel like maybe has developed. Thoughts about yeah. why that is? I think I'm unwinding, you know, I'm unwinding. I'm relaxing. Uh, uh, my belly's getting bigger. <laughs> it's like, it kind of goes with my music. It's just like, I'm I'm working on this new record and almost every song I'd, I'd say the songs average about 5 minutes a piece. Uh-huh. Whereas when I started they used to average about 2 minutes or 2 and a half. Sure. It was just more of a maybe a punk thing, I guess. But it was it was more trim, more lean. And now I think I just I'm just enjoying adding chapters to each song so that uh it doesn't just end. Then there's like this whole other piece that kind of blossoms from that. And, and maybe an intro and maybe in the middle, there's something else. So, yeah. Before we dive into these two songs, one that you've chosen and one that I've chosen, uh, let's talk songwriting process. Uh, let's first start with materials. Are you writing on paper, on the computer? Do you favor pen, pencil? Uh, do you record voice memos of the music? While you're in process, let's get into the nitty gritty of how your songs are born. Okay. Yeah, I'd say 90% of my songs are voice memo from me hiking. There's even a a mountain here in Missoula. Uh, It's called Mount Sentinel, but I call it Song Mountain because (laughs) every time I go up it, if I'm not listening to a podcast and I'm just allowed to kind of stew in my emotions, whatever they are, uh, I notice that always when I come down, about halfway down, a song will start coming to me. Hmm. And I do, it's not that I go up there and think about it. I could just go up there for exercise. But as I start coming down that hill, a song comes, and then I'll write. 
you know, the first verse, second verse, maybe a chorus. And often I'll just tuck them away. So I have, I feel like I have hundreds of these songs that I feel like they're good starts, but I just haven't had time with, with work and with parenting to really finish a lot of these songs. So whereas I used to write, you know, eight songs a month, now it's like, I'll still write just as many, but I don't finish them. And I hope to finish them someday. So then when I get home, I'll some, often type them and put them somewhere in my, on my computer so that I can find them for later. Yeah, I'd say that's about, about it. Since you brought up parenting, do you want to mention uh, how old your young one is? Yeah, my daughter is 11 years old. And, yep, she's in school right now. And, uh, it's a pleasure being her dad. Any thoughts on the changes in your songwriting, uh, either changes in the experience of writing songs, like your sort of your habit and what it's like, uh, or changes in the songs themselves pre, pre before being a parent and then as a parent did it change things for you in any way i mean i'm writing more children's songs but that's that's pretty surface but i think well, in big. general it's it's not necessarily changing the way i write it's just the themes are i'm just reflecting what's around me in terms of, uh, I like to say every song starts with a kernel or a spark, that there's mm -hmm. some piece of inspiration, and it could be literally anything. Sometimes this, the kernel is an, is a, an idea. Sometimes mm -hmm. the kernel is, it could be a single word. For me, oftentimes, it's a phrase or a turn of phrase. Mm -hmm. um, certainly for lots of songwriters, it's not lyrically driven. You and I are... Uh, have kind of uh, the lyricism I think drives our work in a, in a major way for some songwriters the the melody or the rhythm can play a big role sure. uh, and and there are other things that it can be but I'm just curious uh, do you lean in a direction in terms of where your songs come from or are there many different ways yeah I, I'm definitely always listening for uh, for that spark. Uh, often for me, it's it's like a, an unexpected rhyme will come up. Like a couple of days ago, I was listening to a podcast and the guy was talking about, he's like, I mean, after I quit that job, I had nobody to bow to or, or kowtow to. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Like, nobody to bow to or to kowtow to. I do what I want, not just what I'm allowed to. You know, <laughs> and now I can just run with that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're hearing it live, people. This is the, the, the genius. So we haven't talked a lot about the fact that um, that and I, I was meaning to wrap up and go on to the next segment. But this is to me, this is gold and, and we can't skip over it. It's really pretty rare to have a songwriter with such expertise and ability in so many genres. I mean, I mentioned that you write in these genres, but, but you know, th there was an example of, of the hip hop that you write that is a really a particular style of hip hop that dates back to the eighties that you have kept fresh. Um, I mean, you know, album after album, you've got a number of albums that some songs are raps and some songs are other kinds of songs. You've got so albums where 
pretty much the entire album is rap. Um, but you've, it, it's funny, in a way, pioneered this ongoing style of 80s hip hop that has so much, I mean, you know, oftentimes hip hop has humor, but your particular brand of humor is also so unique. I, just that little excerpt that you shared right there, I think back to uh, listeners, this is another little piece of information about Chris's and, and my relationship. Chris and uh, and another dear friend married my wife and I uh, going on 11 years ago. And wow. at our wedding ceremony, where he also performed uh, at my request, um, at our request, he also uh, rapped in in the ceremony uh, about <laughs> us, which was a surprise. I had no idea he was going to do that. But, you know, everybody laughed. Everybody loved it. It was uh, very much in line with the unusual and quirky uh, and, and, and mixed religious and mixed heritage nature of our wedding. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm a little bit going on and I'm a little bit gushing, but for a good reason, because what you do is remarkable. Um, and there's not a question in here. I guess I just want people to know that this is really interesting about you. You've got a new album of children's music. It is excellent. You've got new endless country songs. They're excellent. You started out this segment yodeling. You can do that. Um, <laughs> you have been a rapper for, you know, the entire time that you've been doing this. Um, and you've been really, uh, I think, I, th I think I have to say a visionary. <laughs> I, I think it, it is hard for you to to hear compliments like that sometimes, uh, just because uh, you know for reasons. But I think it's well, really yeah, I'm true. just not. I'm not used to it, so I haven't. I can't wrap my head around that. Uh, but I appreciate that. That's uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I say that. The, I think the reason I say it is because I I don't know anybody who does what you do, <laughs> and you do it really well, and that's really rare. Uh, you know, I, I encourage people. I think I think of the rap albums. The one that stays with me the most is uh, "Year in the Life of Slippery Good Stuff," mm -hmm. and I mean, there's so much going on in that one record. It's radical in the sense of being politically edgy. It's radical in the sense of pushing sexual politics in a way that rarely happens. You've invited in women's voices on that record, and you're delving into a lot of the the things that men don't talk about and don't get to talk about a sort of self analysis that is i mean it's so rare that it doesn't exist <laughs> really um, uh -huh. and uh you know so to me that's really remarkable and anybody listening i really do encourage you to to go check out chris's whole back catalog uh very easily accessible on Bandcamp, um and uh, but it's also in other places i'll at the end of this show i'll i'll clearly direct you towards all of his things. All right, I'll move on, unless you had any last thing to say, Sandy. No, but thanks. That, that feels great. It was near impossible for me to choose a song uh, for us to listen to first here, and I chose Love's Hangover Sale hey. for s several reasons. First, it may be the most Sandmandy of all the Sandman songs, or at least <laughs> out of all the, the ones that aren't raps. Uh, second, for folks who don't know your work, I wanted them to hear one of your early hits, a true classic and a sort of an Olympia anthem. Hmm. Here's Love Hangover Sale, written and performed by my guest, Chris Sand. If I was a singer-songwriter, I'd write a song that went like this. 
And if I was a bull rider I'd ride a bull that could not miss And if I was a street fighter I would use my fists And if I was a coal miner I'd try to kiss your ruby lips Love hangs over And love's hangover sail Love hangs over And love's hangover sail If I was a stargazer I'd gaze into your pretty eyes And if I was a trailblazer I'd blaze across your starry skies And if I was a laser I would lay me down and cry And if I was the Lone Ranger I guess I'd have an alibi Love hangs over Love's hangover sail Love hangs over Love's hangover sail Everything goes for a dollar Twenty-five bucks you can have it all Everything goes for a dollar Twenty-five bucks you can have it all If I was a millionaire, I'd put a flower in your hair. And if I could choose a career, I guess I'd be an auctioneer. And if I'd stayed back in Wyoming, we both might feel much better. And if I could stop my roaming and rambling and gambling, we still might be together. Love hangs over. Love's hangover sail. Love hangs over. Love's hangover sail. Everything goes for a dollar For 25 bucks you can have it all Everything goes for a dollar For 25 bucks you can have it all Everything must go Everything must go Radio must go Waterbed must go Bread machine must go Trampoline must go Studebaker Popcorn makers Love's hangover sale Love hangs over Love's hangover sale Arrogance must go Jealousy must go Bitterness Self-deprecation, all shame, all blame, all guilt must wilt. Love's hangover sail. Everything goes for a dollar. Twenty-five bucks, you can have it all. 
Everything goes for it all Or for 25 bucks you can have it all Haul it away boys Love hangs over Love sang over sing Love hangs over Love sang over sing Love hangs over Love sang over Love's Hangover Sale is the title track from your now 26-year-old album. What's it like listening to it after all this time? Uh, you know, it was, it was refreshing. I, uh, I like it. It's, it's a nice, solid little slice of, uh, yeah, my past and this Americana part of me. Do you feel like the same person who wrote that song? Yeah, I was I was even thinking like my new record, my new country record. It's similar in that way. It's like a longer song. It has these this ending that's a little bit unique from the beginning. It's uh, it's quirky. In a sense, it was a a forebear to some of this current stuff I'm writing that I I rarely did in the past. That was that long. That's interesting. Yeah. This loves hangover sale. It positively hums with mojo, poetry, romance, hope. Um, I'm assuming those elements were present in your life at the time. Can you explain how you managed to craft that lived experience into this song? How did you translate it into poetry and melody? Wow, yeah, I really was swimming in, uh, swimming in, li swimming in life and, and autonomy at that time. And I was also like at my most poor. I was living in the track house uh, along the tracks for $110 a month rent. Uh, track house just burned down, by the way. Um, but anyway, I just, I'd been roped into doing, playing Woody Guthrie in this play. I can't remember what it was called. Might've been Bound for Glory. Uh, anyway, it was in this uh, other college in the town of Lacey, Washington. And... Um, I played Woody Guthrie, and there's some a woman in the audience really uh, was charmed by my performance. I never acted before; I have never since. But um, she wanted to give me. She wanted to find out when my next show was, and she said she had some chicken that she wanted to drop off. Uh, that she and so she she dropped by, and when she saw my room, it was just like I was living on the floor with dust bunnies all around me. You know, like on a maybe a futon if I was lucky on the ground. Um, I just pretty much didn't have much, but I had my freedom and I was just in love with life. I must have been 
25 at the time, 26 maybe. And anyway, she said that she was going through a love, love's hangover sale uh, and that she was getting rid of everything that had to do with her husband. And so she, I think she came back with the chicken later once she saw how poor I was. And she just filled my fridge with like these whole chickens <laughs> um, that she didn't want anything to do with anymore. And some other food too. And it was great. I, I lived like a king for the next month. <laughs> and, but there was that. I, I'd, I'd gone through a, a breakup with a fiance from Montana. Um, and we were supposed to get married the year before. And so I was still feeling kind of, I hadn't really written a song yet about that breakup. I was also kind of in love with this new person. Um, so I was feeling nostalgia and, and sadness, but also excitement. And like, it was all just a big, uh, big pot of chicken gumbo <laughs> that I put into that, <laughs> put into that song. It's quirky. I, you know, I was uh, getting introduced to K Records and the Olympia punk rock scene at the time. So I felt like there are no rules um, to be punk. You could, to, for me, being punk at that time was like, I'll just be really, I'll double down on my country roots. And uh, so with that song, it felt like it was a punk song, but also a, a country song. Um, doesn't really have much hip hop in it, but it has that little 23, 23, 20. Like I was thinking, I remember thinking at the time, like auctioneers are kind of like rappers, like, so it even has a little bit of hip hop in it. <laughs> has some poetry. Yeah. I felt like I was playing around with ideas. Like if I was a singer songwriter, I'd write a song like that, like this. I mean, I was clearly being a singer songwriter, but I didn't feel like I wanted to be one. So I said, if I was. Uh, I want. I wanted to be something wholly untethered, and I feel like that song encapsulates that freedom. That's so interesting. I, I love everything about this song, uh, from the opening line that you just mentioned to to the ending. Kind of everything must go freestyle. It's interesting. It hadn't occurred to me the the twenty three twenty four part, the auctioneer part. Uh, it, it is has such a a rap aesthetic, but. Uh -huh. uh, but 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 it sort of has a freestyle element at the end where you're naming things that must go. That was what I picked up on, um, yeah. as a you know a bit of a. Actually, didn't think about it in terms of hip hop, but I did think of it as a freestyle. Yeah. Um, but that opening line, if I was a singer songwriter, I'd write a song that went like this. To me, that is as perfect an opening line as you're not going to like this because you don't like when I do this, but <laughs> <laughs> I do actually. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> then I'm going to do it more from now on. Uh, to me, that's as perfect an opening line as Leonard Cohen's. They say there was a secret chord that David played and pleased the Lord, but you don't really oh. <laughs> care for music, do you? And I'll tell you why I think that. I mean, that's not a claim you should make lightly. And so I won't. Um, but in that line, you've brought your signature humor. You've taken us into a captivating world where you maybe are and maybe are not a street fighter and a bull rider and a lover. Um, and then the chorus hits, you know, which to me is one of the all time great choruses. Love hangs over at love's hangover sale. We don't exactly know what it means, but it's such accessible poetry. Somehow we all have our own idea about it, what it means for love to hang over. 
And the idea mm. of a garage sale, at least to me, it always seemed like a garage sale called or a tag sale called Love's Hangover Sale. It's so specific. It's such a slice of life and time and place. Um, I just think it's really remarkable. Thank you. Yeah, uh, totally unconscious writing. And that that was, uh, I think I was freestyling at that time a lot. Like I was literally competing in freestyle battles. Uh, I was in the crucible of that, just uh, letting the mind go. And it really, it worked. Um, that's also, I, I know this about you. I know that that was true in your life then, but never ceases to be amazing to me that you wrote this song and also were actively rap battling. <laughs> I, I, <there's... laughs> well, that's my I mean, thumbprint. Is is the polls, you know? Right. I, I right. just want to. I just want to connect. I want to connect the dots of humanity that keep us apart. So I, I oscillate. I I feel like there's a meta modernism within my music that I I only really learned about about what meta modern meta modernism means, but it's that idea of being able to freely oscillate between poles that seem opposite and to pick and choose whatever you want, whatever makes sense. And that humanity has kind of been rigid and that it's time to kind of move into this new metamodern, the spectrum, the rainbow. It's like society is doing that and society is also uh, rebelling against that because it's scary, but it's true freedom to be able to not have to uh, put fences around your your mind that's very interesting i had i have never heard of metamodernism but that's really interesting i want to take one more swing at what you're doing in the opening verse here because i said it's i think it's as perfect an opening is is the first line in hallelujah because i think it's very hard to do something like what you're doing you say if i was a singer songwriter I'd write a song that went like this. So we, we all know you're a singer songwriter. We're listening to your song. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, immediately you're, you're conjuring up a character. You're, you're playing a character who is sort of uh, it, it, this character wants to be more than who they are or something like that. I mean, who, who, who can't relate to that? You know, this is the, this, but also it's a character who wants to be something that they're not, but actually also already is that thing. It's a little hard to talk about. And actually doesn't want to be that thing because they're denying that they are that thing because there's limits to that. (laughs) To call the singer songwriter feels like a a big box that I never wanted to be put into. Uh, so you did say that already, and I sort of ignored it because which is interesting because obviously I think of you as a singer songwriter, but it's so interesting that right. So you thought of it that other way, but when I hear it, I hear something very different. And in in particular, it's almost like the way people think that some people are artists. There is there is a large assumption I think globally that it, it to be an artist there are certain markers, and if you don't carry those markers you don't get to claim being an artist. And what I am now very clear on is that really all of us are artists, that there is so much artistry in, in all work. And 
uh, at some level, all of us are workers. I mean, obviously, there are class implications here. We're talking about, you know, different situations for the poor and working class than we are for the, the middle and the upper classes. But but so so to me, when I hear if I was a singer songwriter, I'd write a song that went like this. I'm hearing this push and pull between the artist who is already deep in their bag of brilliance and of creating art, but also is doubtful enough to say, while I create this brilliance, I'm still not sure that I'm even an artist. That's what I hear. It's so interesting that where you were coming from was almost the opposite, that mm. that you almost were in denial, it sounds like, of the fact that you or, or maybe not in denial. I shouldn't say that because what you're saying is legitimate. You're saying you wanted to be more than a singer songwriter. You saw yourself as a an artist almost with a capital A and didn't want to be written into this song as an artist with lowercase a. I don't know if I'm if if I'm going too far. <laughs> that sounds Abstra abstract that sounds here. correct. Yeah. yeah, that sounds correct. Uh, okay. I didn't know what I was and I didn't I didn't want to know what I was. I think that that was the beauty of that time in my life and it's still what pushes me is that I'm more interested in the unknown. I'm more interested in negation, like what I'm not. You know, that's like my poem. I'm not a Texas tornado. I'm not the Tennessee stud. Like I have multiple songs that tell about what I'm not. And that to me is, it's more important to know what you're not than to know what you are because how, what you are is what you are, but what you're not is what people try to say you are. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, I just want to be who I am. That's all. Do you remember my song, um, My Own Man, from back then? Did you ever hear that song? Mm, no, I don't think so. It's like, people say, I have eyes like Jesus, but I don't agree. But even if I had eyes like Jesus, that don't mean he has eyes like me. You know, like, the highest compliment would be someone maybe comparing you with Christ, if you're a Catholic like me, you know, or raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't want that. That's not a compliment to me because he isn't me. I don't know him. You know, uh, he's some, he's his own person. I don't want to bogart his magic. Like, what about my magic? <laughs> what you're, what you're pointing out here, what you're kind of excavating from this conversation and from these ideas, I love so much. You might say it's about the uniqueness of each of us. And, but you're also calling attention to the role that that plays in our lives as artists. And I've already claimed that all of us are artists, not just those of us who have decided to make a profession of it. Next. Yeah. Yeah. Any last comments about that? Just, um, I think of it almost home homeopathically, like, like, let's say you get poison ivy. And so the cure for poison ivy would be, it's like the hair of the dog that bit you. It's poison <laughs> ivy, but with the poison spun out of it. And then it's the imprint of the essence of what poison ivy is without the poisons. And, and that's what heals the poison ivy rash. And I think the same goes for people. Like if you can spin that ego out of people about their ident, you know, who they think they are. And you just get down to that unknown that that is what can heal people is the, just the essence minus the poisons. And so that's what I'm trying to find in my life. And everyone has their own 
magic uh, essence. Wow, such a huge idea. Really interesting. All right, next we're going to listen to a song that Chris has chosen. It's off his new record of children's songs, Magic Beans. This song is called We Are the Children of the World. Let's play, y'all. Move your body now. We swing on swings, we slide on slides, we drum on drums, we ride on rides. We play hide and seek, kick cans down the street, we splash in creeks and climb high peaks. Oh yeah. Jokes. Yeah, we dance how we feel. We play soccer and tag and leave our jackets in the field. Ugh. Sorry, mom. We love quesadillas, appreciate what you made us. At snack time, water and fruit taste the greatest. Oranges, apples, mangoes, grapes. We study numbers, letters, textures, shapes. Ha! We like bright colors and Velcro shoes. We dig face paint and fake tattoos. And deserts with sand, we got hearts and minds that forever expand. Keep going, infinite. We are the children of the world. We are the children of the world. Stop for a second. Listen to the truth, our lives would thrive if we listened to the youth Sophisticated children all across the planet They seem to be the only ones who understand that We're all related, no one's better or worse They know we're better together because together we're first And we pursue joyfulness for what it's worth And we declare interdependence across the earth My mother bought me the vinyl record of Free to Be You and Me. And I had um, Sesame Street in Harmony on cassette tape. Um, those are both actually incredible albums uh, with some of the best popular performers of the day. Um, and those were magic to me. I love them to this day. In fact, uh, Doobie Brothers singing Winkin' and Blinkin' and Nod on that Sesame uh -huh. Street album maybe one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh -huh. uh, your album, Magic Beans, is such a rare children's record and in my mind is every bit as good as any of the best children's albums. It's also incredibly unique. Uh, you know, 
I'll start to sound like a broken record, but I think this is true about, again, what's remarkable. It's like the uniqueness of the raps, um, the uniqueness of songs like Love's Hangover Sale. And then in this one, in the way that you're tackling big subjects here in this children's album, you're tackling big subjects um, that most people assume are not for kids, like a, a baby born breach, for example, in a different song. And in this song, um, you know, how we are so much more alike than we are different and are one human family. I also have to mention that you have a song about a girl who both loves fairies and loves to be scary, which is amazing. Song about having a childhood crush on your uncle's wife that absolutely works <laughs> as a kid's song. And, and a great bathroom humor song about toilet paper. Um, it's all pure genius. A few other Sandman hallmarks include uh, short and wonderful acapellas like Baby Hulk Hogan, um, two songs actually written by children. You love to pump up other people with your work and in your life, and many pop cultural references, including to Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber. Um, all right. After to remark on one last thing, which is the way you've borrowed from uh, updated probably improved classics um, from the children's canon, like, for example, in the song Cow Cow Mama Cow, which is inspired by Old MacDonald, probably the most famous children's song in the USA. So why did you choose this song, We Are the Children of the World, for us to discuss? Um, I guess it's maybe like the inverse of Love's Hangover Sale. Like for me, Love's Hangover Sale was like my whole life just being poured into this song. Whereas this is the, this is the opposite. This would be an example of the majority of songs I write, which are fast. Um, that it's like less is more idea. Like I didn't make the beats. I just came up with the rhymes and the idea it's not it's, I've never performed this song live um but it's kind of my dream is like to be able to to go as big and uh it's like a Quincy Jones produced children's song <laughs> uh just that bigness that pop uh but it's it's still I guess it's my love for collaboration with other people who can really make the music impeccable um listen again back to love's hangover sale like i guess you could call that impeccable too it was recorded live and with a, mostly kind of amateur young musicians but it all comes across beautifully yeah um whereas this one is is just more produced i mean even the even the title is it's almost too close to we are the world <laughs> we are we are the world we are the children i call it we are the children of the world <laughs> you know it, it, it should it shouldn't work but every time i listen to it it brings me joy like i find my head nodding and wanting to hear this song over and over again and maybe that's uh just that dream of mine is to is to is to really break the ceiling of what a poor country kid can do. And, you know, my formative years were Michael Jackson, were Prince, were 
those funk bands and even disco. And so I just, it's my turn. I want to, I want to throw that out there, but, but lyrically I, I do, I think it's great. It's a, it's a very solid idea, which is just to show that, and it took a little bit of work because we're, I'm so ethnocentric. I've never been off the continent still, but to imagine, like, to say things like we play soccer and tag, I could have said we play baseball and tag or something. Sure. But no, I had to choose so- soccer because that's, or I, I didn't originally have mango in there. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, fuck. I just use a bunch of fruits that I know about. But what about where, oh, yeah, well, mango can, can be in, in South America, it can be in Asia, it can be in the Middle East. Um, so just for me, it was like an exercise and like, how how can I make something fairly universal um, as much as I can? It's stretching me to think in terms. And then I went to, at the end, it goes to the universe. And it's like, really, if there are people out there, we're still one big universe blasted from the same place. So might as well mention it at least. But uh, yeah, interde- we declaim interdependence, like, uh, it's not the it's not the declaration of independence. It's the doc, it's the declaration of interdependence, which is a more childlike a new place we need to head, which is that we all need each other. So I don't know. It's it's almost hard to talk about, but I just like it. In some, uh, so much there to to dive into. I, I really enjoy. Um, you're talking about having not left the continent. And I, I love the way that in this song and getting to hear about your process as a writer, we get to see somebody from a background like your background. You know, you were you were you haven't left the continent. You have left the country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've been you've been south and you've been north. Um, but we get to see the way that, in spite of the you know, the financial limitations and the limitations of resource that made it so, you know, you would, you would very much have been, have, have liked to be traveling the world. You're, you're, you're a person who's interested in the world. You would have mm-hmm. loved to see the world that hasn't been available to you up until now. Mm-hmm. And I love that that won't stop your mind, I think is what mm-hmm. you're saying here. Or at least that's what I hear. Um, I mean, to me, that's so important because most of the world is poor and working class. And, you know, and I think also, as a result, we have a certain talent for internationalism. Um, mm. You know, a, cer- a certain talent, the poor and working class, in spite of being cut off from the world in, in the way that we haven't got the money to, to travel, you know, in the same way as, as folks with more money. Um, a, a certain idea, and I think because there is some innate understanding that we are the majority, that we're connected mm-hmm. to people, and a certain way that our minds want to stretch to imagine that interconnection. So you're, you're doing that here as a songwriter, you're putting it into this song. Um, and I also, when you started out talking about the, that this was, you know, in your mind, sort of a, almost a Quincy Jones production of a children's song. I mean, how incredible that you wanted to do that. And also you're doing several other things on this record. Not every song sounds like this song. Certainly. In fact, this one is a little bit on the unique side. For sure. Um, in spite of there being other songs that are sort of more hip hop than anything else. You can jump in if you want that. I'm going on. Yeah. I mean, there's only two raps on, 
out of the 16 songs on this one. And um, Corwin Fox, by the way, uh, produced it. And he's, he's from uh, Vancouver Island. And just recording in, in Canada was a huge, like I wrote that song while I was in the studio, um, wanting a song that kind of expressed internationalism because Canada is a different country. It's, it, and yeah, so I like going to Canada just for that reason, just to see outside of my own, um, pre not prejudices, but just you get used to something and you think it's the only way it is to be a USer. Sure. In the last song, In Love's Hangover, um, listening to it for the probably hundredth time for me, uh, the, the rhyme Studebaker popcorn maker made me laugh afresh, even though I knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, in songwriting, we talk about being specific. And in songwriting, uh, we talk about avoiding cliché. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say no one's ever rhymed Studebaker with Popcorn Maker before or since. Works so beautifully, works perfectly. Um, in this one, uh, the line about quesadillas delighted me. You know, it made me laugh kind of from delight. Remind me what that verse is or that little snippet. We we like quesadillas, love or like, we, we love quesadillas, appreciate what you made us. A snack time, water and fruit taste the greatest. Yeah, yeah. This is so great. Just because who's rapping about quesadillas? Who's singing about quesadillas? It's like fantastic. Right. <laughs> and from your perspective, you know, it's like not, you're not making a joke. This isn't cultural appropriation. You're not making a joke at the expense of people from cultures who eat quesadillas. You're celebrating internationalism. You're celebrating multiculturalism. You're celebrating the way that that is so inherent to childhood. Um, just such yeah. a lovely example of why this album works the way it works. Thanks for noticing that. Cause I remember when I used the word quesadillas, I was like, what do we eat? Uh, it's not hamburgers. And so I was like, quesadillas that maybe, but is that just in North America? So I, I remember Googling, I think Iran, I was like, I was thinking of you and I was like, <laughs> I wonder if in Iran they eat quesadillas. And I found proof that they do just by Googling it. Like that it's a popular thing. And so I was like, okay, well, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be international. I should check Japan too. Curious. This song is such a celebration of the intelligence of children. Uh, say something about, uh, it's true about the whole album, but this song in particular struck me. Um, say something about that. Yeah, it's definitely an anthem. It's, um, it's just saying that we like to play. We, we like to, uh, uh, yeah, we, we just don't, we, we don't, we don't want too much. We, we, structure's good, but we also want to just imagine and create and uh, be wild and uh, that that's okay. And just that we all have a lot in common. Just kind of just planting that seed that we all have a lot in common and that across the universe, like it's deserts, forests, cities, like it's just a, uh, it's a small world after all. It's touching on the same stuff that other songs have already, you know, children's songs have, have reached for, but just in a funky way that, like, like it starts off the whole album and the first words of the first song on the album are, let's play y'all. Oh, wait, that's, that's Cow Cow. Never mind. <laughs> wait, no, it is, that is that song. I feel like it is a song. Let's yeah. play y'all. 
uh, just just about play, just about being having fun, losing your losing your shit, losing your jacket in the field, and having to apologize. But it's okay because he had a lot of fun. But it's not you telling us that all of these things are important. You are championing the voice of children in the song. It's we are the children of the world, and you've brought children's voices in. So why I said celebrating the intelligence of children is it feels to me like this song is saying children know these things and both yeah. the children get to remember, oh, that's right. We're brilliant. We, we understand these crucial things that the older world mostly forgets or ongoingly forgets. For sure. But I think the reason I do say we are is because we still are, you know, even if you're 114, we still are the children of the world, you know. Uh, we might forget it, and we might act in very weird, abusive ways and adultist ways, but I don't want to just put it on the kids. It's like, we are. Like, let's keep remembering that we are. And I'll throw my voice in there with the kids, even though I struggle to uh, to be as smart as kids. But give it a good... That's why the records, the subtitle of the record is 16 Songs for Sprouting Children and other human beings. It's like, it's not just for the kids, it's for anybody who's human. One more thing I like about the song though is, I, that's one of my favorite uh, verses. We swing on swings, we slide on slides, we drum on drums, we ride on rides. I just, I love the symmetry of, of those things. Uh, yeah, that, that's, I had that tucked away for a long time and then it wasn't until I went to the studio I was like okay from here I'll rate the rest of the record I'm glad you brought up that line uh, It to me it is illustrative of uh, other things you do it's kind of so simple but but it's not that simple like it's it, it's so accessible it feels so right to us to listen but it has an energy to it um, and to me, that is such a, um, I value that maybe above all else in songwriting. Um, mm. I just had a quote from Mingus in my songwriting class that I teach here at the public library. And basically what Mingus is saying is to, to make art complicated is actually quite easy, <laughs> but to make it simple, to make it deceptively simple, is where the real challenge is. And I feel uh -huh. like that's what you've done here. And I, I feel like you kind of have spent your career honing that edge. It's true. I, I really get off on just like going after it, like just to write the, the, that those four lines might've taken me a month because <laughs> you know, what, which goes where right. finding the, um, but once, that's the seed for me. Like if you can get it started, the rest of it, you can kind of let it be a little more ragged, but you need to cement it in people's minds that, uh, that you're not, that you're serious, that you, you love the written word and you love ideas and you love rhythm. All the, all those pieces fit in. Assonance, alliteration, all of it has to be impeccable for people to really stop what they're doing and then, listen to the rest of the record. 
Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining me today to take a deep dive in what you do, how you do it. Can you stay on with me for one last segment before we end today? Absolutely. This last segment I'm calling Activist Toolkit. You're a radical songwriter in the vein of people like KRS-One, an edutainer, you might say. And I li- I'd like to pick your brain, steal your ideas around how you use music to start important conversations with your audience and community. In particular, I want to point out that um, you're somewhat of a unicorn as a radical songwriter and performer. Um, in many ways, we've already, we've already already covered how unusual uh, in terms of the diversity of genres. And also we've covered in terms of, you know, many of your perspectives, how unusual I find your work. Um, but also in that your body of work strives to reach for those who disagree with you and to find commonality. In many ways, the easier way is to speak on important issues and to rail against injustices, which, you know, I believe also has a lot of value. And you do do that as well. But you often take a decidedly different path here, reaching uh, for open conversation over righteous indignation. Tell me about this, uh, how you do it, why you do it, and how it started. Mm, that's very generous of you, and um, that is what I would hope to do. Uh, sometimes sometimes I feel like I do it to a fault, and I'm not, you know, I don't hit hard enough. Other times I feel like I, I hit too hard and ostracize people. <laughs> In fact, I was thinking about writing a kid's song called This Machine Ostracizes Ostriches. (laughs) 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 Just really go for it. Just like be mean, just like Randy Newman's short people. Like, but just go after an ostrich and just how horrible they are. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with that, but okay, so sum that up again. Sure. Just, you know, how, yeah. how you, how you do this, um, why you do it and how it started that you're using music and using your songwriting in this particular way to, to, to open up dialogues that are closed. I mean, you know, we're in a, a particular moment in our country where we're talking more openly than we have, I think, in these last five, six years about, um, how hard it is to talk openly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like we've gotten to the place where we can all publicly say on any platform, yeah, we're not communicating with each other. Um, right. But that seems to be as far as we've gone and you've been at this for a long time. Well, it's tricky. It's so tricky. And it's, um, my mind's always trying to figure it out. And, uh, but I would say one thing I think we know and that I hold on to is my North Star is that unity matters. It, when people are unified, the more people are together, more good things happen. So I keep that in mind, like that you don't want to cleave off huge sections of the population. Um, secondly, I go back to my truck driving experience and remember like trying to back up a semi. If you if you lose that fulcrum, that center fulcrum, it jackknifes so quickly that you're out of control and then you have to like um, make up for it. But if you can like stay in that center place, 
then even if you get a little off, then it's just a little bit, uh, just recorrecting. Re um, so just to, I try to remember to stay kind of as central as possible so that I don't uh, just, because I have had people be like, you're too, uh, you're too liberal, you're, you're virtue signaling. I don't like you like I used to like, and that I shouldn't have to take that on. But sometimes I'll think about it. And I'll be like, oh, actually, I do see what I did with that little song there. I was um, trying to slam dunk on something or somebody. Uh, but sometimes you just feel like it's time to burn it all down and to, <laughs> and you know call it how it is. Uh, so I guess it's just every every song and every circumstance is its own thing, and you have to take it for what it is. But in general. I do try to keep things as central, as centered as possible. Um, but I love the I love the poles. Like I said, I love. It's not just rap and country. It's, um, you know, anything that is considered an opposite, male or female. Like, uh, that's why I'm so intrigued by this kind of movement of of transgenderism. It's a confusing topic for sure, but it's. Uh, but it, it, it's in line with metamodernism, which is that we get to define ourselves and that we get to, um, yeah, that, that we're young and we get to figure it out over a long lifetime of who we want to be and who we are. And just the idea of, uh, the, the color, I just like color. I, I just like color in the streets. And I like people loving each other. And I feel like, um, this new movement of of transgender uh, um, pride has really brought more safety to all of us, and has brought more color into the streets and um, more happiness. So, but at the same time, I'm not going to completely say I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but I'm not going to go go to like the uh, like a cattlemen's association show, which I've played, you know, and they're almost all Republicans. And I might not even mention, oh, I definitely wouldn't mention it because I don't want to lose the audience. I want to give them some little um, Easter eggs that there's, um, everybody's reaching for their own freedom at their own pace. And so you just try to read the room and uh, give them what they can handle, and uh, you make a lot of mistakes. But uh, I don't know if that fully answered what you're asking. But that was but great. Just, yeah. Uh, okay. It really did. Um, I'll also note about you that I think for a lot of artists, especially for artists where the the fan base for their genre, you know, that where there's a significant conservative fan base, for example. And, yeah. and if they're a liberal, liberal artist, there can be a lot of pressure, you know, to not want to lose fans and to not want to take controversial, you know, perspectives or sides in your songwriting. And it's just interesting to me that uh, does, that's not where you're coming from. You're actually not really worried about losing fans. You are worried, though, about closing down the conversation. Like you're, you're sort of this this feels silly to say this way, but it's kind of like you're worried about losing friends and not worried about losing fans mm. in a way, not friends. I mean, again, it's not, you're not worried about making people angry exactly, but you, 
I, I liked the image you had about cleaving off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you're not trying to, you know, since you see us as one big human family, you're trying not to like do violence to our human family by alienating some of us. Yeah. If you divide people, then it goes back to my number one point, which is that unity always wins. Right. So don't divide people if you can help it. And I'll add here at the end that uh, 10 or so years ago, maybe a few more at this point, uh, a documentary was made about you called Rollout Cowboy, which incidentally is the name of your first CD, but not your first album. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, And uh, and that documentary uh, follows you on a tour during, was it the, the year of the Obama election or during Obama's campaign? It's 2007 to 2009, so it basically wraps up right when he'd won. And also chronicles your traveling and touring through, you know, both red states and blue states, but more red states. And I guess so, yeah, Heartland. Heartland, right, which is your homeland. And mm-hmm. Sandland, as sometimes you're apt to call it. And, right. uh, <laughs> right yeah, but is is a lovely... Uh, you know, it's a documentary. It's a lovely document uh, chronicling how you do this. So anybody who's interested in uh, in checking that out, I really recommend it. At the end of the show, I'll let you know where to find it. All right. To finish out the show, we'll each share one cool thing, something you've been excited about or inspired by that you think our listeners might enjoy. Chris, what is your one cool thing? Well, it's what I'm about to do in one hour, which is... Um, I'm going to a going, a, I'm going to a going away party for myself. Um, or is that what it is? So I've worked at the Roxy theater an art house theater, which I helped kind of co-found about just, just over 10 years ago. And, um, so I'm the, I'm the longest employee there, except for Mike Steinberg, who's my boss. And he, um, he texted me a couple days ago and said, can we do an exit interview? Because my last day was on the 30th of April. And uh, I said, yes. And it was going to be today at 2 o'clock. But then I was somehow, they, they, they forgot that I was in the thread. So when they've been texting, they've been saying, <laughs> Mike said, hey, everybody. So Chris thinks he's coming in for an exit interview. But it's really a, a big going away party. <laughs> so, uh, you know, throw some money into the pot. We'll, we'll get him a, a nice separate this nice Mexican restaurant. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's just a really beautiful. I didn't, I didn't think there would be a going away party and and now I'm a little bit embarrassed about it, but that's what, that's where I'm going to in, in an hour. And I got to either pretend that I don't know or, <laughs> um, or somehow punk all of them by <laughs> doing some sort of practical joke on them. But I'm a little bit self-conscious about it all, but uh does that count as one cool thing? It sure does. I love this. Okay. Congratulations. You you deserve it. Uh, it's funny. When you told me that they wanted you back for an exit interview, I said to you, oh, they're, they're being awfully ASCII for people that are no longer paying you. That's right. <laughs> it, it turns, and now it, you know it, why. It, it, yeah, it, it stuck out a little bit, didn't it? It's because right. it turned out it's because they love you. Right. <laughs> they're just trying to get you back one last time. Exactly. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, my one cool thing is uh, an app called Music League. A uh, dear friend of mine uh, invited me to be a part of her Music League. And here's the way Music League works. 
um, you gather a group of people and you choose a series of rounds of music topics. So for example, the most recent round was songs with one word titles. And in a round, each person who's in the league, I think there's 12 people in our league, each person chooses uh, one of those songs. It's linked to Spotify and, you know, you you sort of uh, paste your Spotify link and it, it makes, in the app, it makes this playlist of 12 people's different songs with one word titles in, in my current round. And then once you've all selected your songs, everybody gets to go back and vote which their favorite song was with a one word title. Wow. Wow. And then you get to see who had the most votes. So it's a little funny in a sense because it's taking, uh, you know, music and, and sort of making it into a sport or a competition. Gamifying it. Yeah. What would you say? G- gamifying it. Hey, gamifying it, which yeah. in general, I would tend to feel like was not important or necessary, <laughs> a necessary <laughs> addition <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, to the world of music. But what ends up being so wonderful about it is first you get a challenge, an interesting challenge. Uh, you know, w- what song would you choose that has a one word title? There are millions. And, you know, not just which one do you like, but which one do you think this group will like, you know, which what's a little bit apples to applesy in that sense. Oh, yeah. You have to read your read your audience. Which one do you think people will enjoy in this particular group? So it sort of also forces you to get to know that group of people. In this case, I know three of them very well and the rest of them I don't know very well at all. And and so we're sort of forming these friendships around choosing these songs. And yes, every week somebody wins. And I think over the life of the league, you know, somebody will will reign supreme. But nobody cares about that. Uh, it's it just adds a little extra incentive uh, to sort of keep you going week to week choosing songs and then also of course becomes an interesting way to learn about new songs it sounds like my kind of game yeah i I bet you'd like it anyway music league yeah easy to find okay yeah league l-e-a-g-u-e music league well chris sand uh it was so great having you on the show thank you Nima, Muhammad Seven, really a big honor to be on your first episode, and uh, I hope I get to come back sometime. You can find everything Chris Sand at rappincowboy.com. That is rappin with no G, R-A-P-P-I-N. No G, because he's an OG, and there you can find also, uh, you can also find where he'll be performing live. You can hear his latest album, Magic Beans, 16 songs for sprouting children and other human beings on Spotify and Bandcamp. Just uh, search for Chris Sand Magic Beans. You need all four words, Chris Sand Magic Beans. To buy the gorgeous Magic Beans CD, go to Bandcamp, click the Merch tab, where you will also find a companion Magic Beans song and coloring book that together will make a great gift for any of the families in your life. Um, There's even stickers of the great characters from the songs and book for sale there. And if you want to watch Roll Out Cowboy, the documentary about Chris from 2010, you can buy that DVD at his Bandcamp store as well. I'm Muhammad Seven. You can find me at muhammadseven.com. That's Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D and S-E-V-E-N like the number. Muhammad7.com. There you can find my music 
and tour dates, as well as how to get in touch if you're interested in songwriting, coaching, or lessons, which I offer. All right, I'll see you next time. 